Awesome. Well, good evening. It is so good to be with you guys here tonight. And uh, we're kind of continuing our Grace. series. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. There's my notes. You like that? That's big, man. That's big. Big notes. That's a level of 17, right? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so we're continuing our Grace Canon by, I believe this is the first night that you are transitioning from the New Testament back into the Old Testament. That's right. And my sweet, sweet wife, Amber, who's not here, so she cannot defend herself, oh, says, yeah. <laughs> she, she's, she's a Christian for a long time, longer than me, and she's like, I, she's like, Grace in the Old Testament. Where are we going to look? For, where are we going to find that? And I was just like, "Baby, baby, baby, come on!" Like it's all over the place. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at grace revealed in the the Old Testament. Right? Yeah. Grace didn't pop into existence when Jesus was incarnate. Right? Uh, it has been from the very beginning. God created humanity, created all of the world, created everything in grace to share himself. And we see the story of God's grace run throughout the, the story of Scripture. Revelation actually ends uh, with John uh, saying, And grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So we see the grace of God run from start to finish. So tonight I thought it would be really good... To start uh, the grace in the Old Testament, talking about Abraham. So Abraham is a pretty important guy uh, for Jewish people and for Christians and for Islam. I mean, he's an important character. And uh, so we're going to look at the story of Abraham. So tonight's text is Genesis 12 to 22. <laughs> so, that's it. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12 to chapter 22? Yes, chapter 12 to chapter 22. Uh, and so what I'm going to attempt to do... <laughs> I was like, what's the simplest way to attack this? We'll just do 10 chapters. And I was thinking about just reading the story, but I, I listened to it on uh, Bible Gateway, on like the message translation and the NIV. That took about 45 minutes. So uh, I decided I'm going to have to kind of pare it down, and we're just going to look at what I think are the significant points where we can see the grace of God throughout the life of Abraham. Because the truth be told, the word translated grace, the little Hebrew word we often translate grace like uh, in the Noah story, and, and Noah found grace or favor with the Lord, uh, is used twice in this story, but not really in not really talking about grace like we're talking about. But there's grace, I promise you, throughout this story from beginning to end. Okay? And so we're going to start this story. And basically my goal is just to tell the story. All right? We have uh, in the, this Old Testament narrative, we don't have a narrator that's saying, right, this is your takeaway. This is what you should take away from this story, all right? So we're just going to go through the story, and I'm going to encourage you to look for the grace of God and look for where you fit within this story. Where do you find you in your humanity in this story? And then we'll wrap up at the end with some thoughts that I have, okay? So the story starts...
probably about 4,000-ish years ago, and this guy named Abraham, who is at this point named Abram, lives in a town called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, and it's way on the east side of uh, the, the Fertile Crescent, east side of uh, Mesopotamia, almost to the Mediterranean Sea, okay? No, not the Mediterranean Sea, the... No, the Dead Sea is down here. Anyway, the sea. Whatever that one is. Mediterranean's over there by Canaan. So anyway, so he's living there on the Euphrates River in the, the land of Ur. And we pick up our story in chapter 12 of Genesis. And in chapter 12, God shows up. And it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram is called by God. God shows up and gives him a promise that he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to, to bless him abundantly. But Abram has a problem. He is married uh, to a lovely lady named Sarai, but Sarai uh, is barren. She doesn't have, they have no kids. And so there's this question that Abram would have had to be asking, God, okay, you're going to make me a great nation. You're going to bless me. How are you going to do that? I, I don't have a kid, right, let alone numerous kids with which to start this nation. But God says, go. This little Hebrew imperative, lek, go. Okay. And so Abram, it says he goes from his country he says, go from your country, from your people, and your father's household. Right? And this is a big deal. Right? Your country, your, your people, your father's household, that is Abram's identity. That is his security. That is who he is. And God says, take off. And go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abram, being the faithful man of God that he is, leaves. He wanders uh, through the Fertile Crescent, following the Euphrates River. I don't know why I said it like that. Euphrates <laughs> River. And he ends up in the land uh, of Canaan. And when he gets to Canaan, God shows up again and says, this is it. Right? This is the land that I am going to give you. And everything that you see here is going to be yours. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. And so Abram is traveling around here and he builds some altars, kind of declaring that this is God's place now. He prays in, at some of these altars and he's wandering his way south towards the Negev desert, which is still in the land of, of Canaan, just kind of checking out his territory. He's doing great waiting to be made into a great nation. But then something challenging happens. There is a famine in the land. He's in the land that God said, this is it. This is the place where I'm going to make you into a great nation. A famine hits, and Abram gets scared. He's like, there's no, there's no food here, there's no water, right? This isn't like it was in Ur where we had uh, the Euphrates River and it was, you know, there was some stability. 
times of, of drought. We've got to get out of here. And so it says that Abram up and left and went to Egypt. Right? Which isn't necessarily bad in itself, but it never, the, the, the text doesn't show us that he inquired of the Lord or he asked, right? All it says is that he got kind of freaked out by this famine. It's like, we got to get out of here. We're going to Egypt. Because Egypt had the Nile and they had food and they were very, they were able to be much more stable in the midst of drought. So they go down there. On the way, in Abram's fear, he says, Sarai, that was his wife's name, Sarai, here's the thing, when we get to Egypt, would you tell everybody that you are my sister? And what are you talking about? I'm your sister, why would I, why would I say that I am your sister? It's like, because you're so beautiful. She's like, keep talking. I, I am beautiful. You're so beautiful that once the Egyptians get their eyes on you, they're going to kill me and take you so that, that you will be one of their wives. And so, to protect me, to preserve me, the faithful, faithful man of God, right, will you just lie and that's going to be great. And so, she's like, okay, great, we'll do that. That's... I'm reading that in, that doesn't really say that. Right, so they go in, and, and it happens exactly as Abram had suspected it would. They go, come into Egypt, and the Egyptian guys are like, oh, hey, look at this new lady in town, right? She's, she's good looking. Somebody should go tell Pharaoh. Look at, look at her, right? And, and uh, I think she's like 65 or something at this point, but she lived to be like 120 years old or something, so good looking. I worked hard and sun baked. I don't know. She's very beautiful. The text. Is that a good thing? Sun kissed. Is that better? There we go. That's better. <laughs> made her sound like a raisin. She's <laughs> <laughs> sun kissed. That's better. She's very beautiful. The text says she's beautiful. And, and the Egyptians agreed, and Pharaoh says, oh, that's somebody that I would like to be my wife. And so he goes and he takes her into his house. And apparently Abram was like, okay, because Pharaoh gave him uh, donkeys and he gave him sheep and, and livestock and male and female servants, right? He's getting rich and kind of doesn't have the, the old ball and chain around. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so this is, this is a problem. This is a, a problem because Abram is living in fear in, in Egypt. He's separated. He's putting the promise of God in jeopardy because, right, he's kind of missing his wife. We don't know where she is, but he's getting rich. Maybe this is how I'm going to be made a great nation. I don't know, but God is unhappy. God is unhappy, so he shows up and strikes the entire house of Pharaoh with significant and serious diseases. Pharaoh finds out what Abram has done and comes and shows up and is like, why would you do this? Why would you tell me that, that she is your sister? And so I took her into my house to be my wife, and Abram's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. And, 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 the, and uh, the, the Pharaoh, right, the king who was just lied to by this foreigner that had every right to kill him and strike him dead, right? But what does he do? He says, take all this stuff I gave you, and he says, take your wife 
and go. Take your wife, the same word that God spoke to him in Ur of the Chaldeans, let. This little Hebrew imperative word, go. And so it takes this pagan foreign king to get Abram back on track into the promised land. But now we've got a problem. There was this great promise that God had made to Abram, but man, maybe he's messed it up. He has really done a poor job as the faithful, faithful man of God. But what we see happen as he's back in the promised land, he's wandering around again. Him and Lot, they are uh, much, much richer at, at this point. That in, in him and Lot, it's his nephew who's been traveling with him. Their shepherds are getting into an argument, and they're like, well, let's just split up, right? If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Lot picks the place down by the Jordan River Valley because it looks very, very beautiful, goes and lives in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Part of the story, I cannot tell you, so go and read chapter 14-ish is where we're at. And so, so Lot leaves with all his stuff, and God shows up again and says, Abram, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. Everything you see, I am going to give you. So God shows up in, right after this failure move, when Abram falls from faith into fear, God shows up again and reaffirms the covenant. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit from chapter 15 in this reaffirmation of the covenant. It's even a little bit stronger here. After this, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your shield, your very great reward. I'm going to give all this land to you, right? It's this beautiful picture of God and his graciousness. Oh, slipped up. God shows up in his graciousness and reveals himself, reaffirming the promise to Abram. You've not fallen too far. The promise still stands. Amen. And God shows up. No, it's challenging. And God shows up. Uh, and, and you would think that Abram, oh, he's going to be faithful. And what does he do? God, God, I don't know how you're going to do what you said you're going to do. I don't have, I still don't have any kids. I'm wandering around. And Eleazar of Damascus is going to inherit all that I have. What am I going to do? And this is what God says to him. It's so beautiful. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right, Amber and I had this amazing opportunity in uh, January to travel to Israel in Jordan. And while we were there, we were out in this wilderness in southern Jordan, in territory or in geography that would have been very, very similar to where the Israelites would have wandered in their 40 years of, of wandering. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And one night we went out uh, in uh, we had a little campfire, and they let the campfire die, and we just looked up into the sky, the same sky that Abram would have been looking into. And it was incredible, right? There's no cities around, there's no lights, there's nothing. It's like you can almost see the arms of the galaxy up there. It was so gorgeous. 
and there were so many stars, I couldn't believe it. Count the stars, Abram. That is how great your descendants are going to be. Okay, God. I trust you. In the next chapter, Sarai comes to him. I still don't have any kids, Abram. But I do have this sweet Egyptian maid. Her name is Hagar. Why don't you sleep with her? And Abram is like, honey, that is a great idea. <laughs> right? And so we just have this incredible promise. God shows up to him, right? And says, God, look at the stars. I'm going to promise. I'm going to do this for you. Abram believes. It's credited to him as righteousness. This is a big deal. Things are moving. He's trusting. He believes in what the Lord has promised him. And he immediately falls into this disbelief, this sin, this trying to take things into his own hands. Apparently he literally did. <laughs> Sorry. into the tent. Look at what you've done to me. He was like, what are you talking about? Like, do you remember you brought Hagar and there was a situation I said, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, it's going to be great. And so now she's pregnant. Now you're really mad. And so we see all this family drama and difficulty and pain and ah. And I don't know if other people have family drama, but Abram has it to the nines right here, right? It is troublesome. And so she's like, you need to get rid of Hagar. And he's like, hey, she's your maid. You do what you want with her. And so she mistreats her, and mistreats her so bad she runs off into the desert. And that is another part of the story that I don't have time to tell you, but it's all there in, like, chapter 16 or 17 of Genesis. Okay? And so God, or not God, but Abram is kind of going up and down, right? Promise and failure, promise and disbelief. And now he has uh, just messed up again. Still no kids. But after this, still in chapter 15, uh, oh no, I gotta, I gotta move on. We can't talk about that. There's another great part of the covenant in chapter 15, but we're pushing on. We're pushing on. We're done with chapter 16. So it ends up at the end of chapter 16, Abram has a son through Hagar. His name is Ishmael, and it's great. Oh. And so in chapter 17, Abram is stuck, right? He is in this place of disbelief. He's got this trouble with his wife and with Hagar. And now he's got this new son, but things are still rough. And it says this, Abram is 99 years old in chapter 17. See, Anthony, we're going so fast. You are. Jesus. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many 
nations. Right? And so God shows up again. Promise, fear, promise, disbelief. God shows up again. I'm not giving up on you, Abram. I'm good. not giving up on you. I'm going to make you a great nation, and now I'm going to give you a new name, right? I'm going to give you a new God-born identity. No longer are you going to be called Abram. You will be called Abraham because I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Sarai is no longer going to be called Sarai, but she's going to be called Sarah, right? Like, I'm giving you new identities in me. And here is a new part of the covenant. This is going to be a great one. You're going to love it. Everybody, every male in your household is going to get circumcised. Right? Is this, is this declaration in, the, in your flesh that I have chosen you. You are my people. I am the faithful God. And so Abram, Abraham now, is in this good place. He is the faithful one again. And so he calls all of his people, and that would be an awkward conversation. Right? It's like, hey, guys, what we're going to do is we're all going to get circumcised. Oh, what's circumcision? We haven't done that before. Well, it's this whole thing where you, we're just going to get some knives and we're going to, oh, no, that's no good at all. That's no good at all. Hey, Ishmael, it's so good having you. I know you're eight years old now. You get some daddy-son time. It's terrible. <laughs> the worst time, right? But he does, like everybody in the whole house, people born in, in his family, foreigners, slaves, free, all the people are getting circumcised because Abram is faithful, right? He's like, God, I am in, even if it means a little foreskin cutting. So he's in. And in this moment of faithfulness, that a little bit later, God shows up again. But not, does he, not only does he just show up, but he shows up in person. It says that three travelers came to Abram, and one of them is God. How does that work? I don't know. Right? And so and Abram's like, hey, why don't you stop and eat with me? I'll, we'll cook up some food. And so these three visitors, one of them being God, Yahweh, right? They have dinner, and he talks to him like a, a friend, and they're getting going on their way. He's like, oh, where are you going? We're going to go check out Sodom and Gomorrah. We've heard some pretty troubling news, and we're going to go see if it's true. And then you may have heard the story where uh, Abraham pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. What if there's 50 in the town? Will you destroy the whole town for 50? No, I won't destroy it for 50. What about 45 and 40 and 25? He gets it all the way down to 10. And God says, all right, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angels leave. This is another good part of the story, and it's about Lot, and you should read it. It's in, like, 19. So, the next morning, Abraham wakes up, and he, he looks out on the plains where Sodom and Gomorrah were, and all he sees is the ground belching smoke and fire. God has destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And apparently something about that situation again freaked Abram out. Surprise. And he takes off. Doesn't leave the promised land this time. He's still in Canaan, but he goes down to a place called Gerar, where King Abimelech is the, the king. And they're on their way down to Gerar, and Abram, they're, you know, they're walking with all their people, and he's like, Sarah, when we get there, what if you say, I'm his sister. She's like, why would I do that again? You're so beautiful. No, that's true. So she goes through with it again, 
right? And then, and it's the same situation, right? This curse fault that Abimelech takes Sarah into his court. She's like 90 years old at this time. So he takes her into his, his court. He hasn't slept with her yet, but maybe they're doing the preparation thing. God shows up to Abimelech and is like, the woman that you have in your house is not yours. She belongs to Abraham. He freaks out and uh, uh, Abimelech freaks out and goes and talks to Abraham again. And Abraham's excuse was like, well, I thought that none of you guys cared anything about God and that you were all kind of miserable people and you would just kill me. Like, oh, well, thanks for that great explanation, Abraham. But instead of dealing with Abraham like you would expect a king who rules this land to deal, he gives him a bunch of stuff, gives him Sarah back, and says, let's make a treaty. You can live here. We can be, we can be friends. Oh, please, that's crazy. Right? And so, again, Abram... Abraham has fallen into this fear. I've got to take things under my own power. I've got to take care of this. God is not doing it right. He's not doing it quick enough. Maybe I can make things happen and help God out a little bit. Now, certainly, three failures in the, these five or six chapters, certainly at this point, Point, Abraham has fallen too far. God has given up and is like, you know what? You had a pretty sweet brother named Haran. Maybe he'll do something, right? And yet, in uh, the next chapter, in chapter 21, it says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. And so Abraham, again, is, receives the unfailing grace of a faithful God. It's not about your faithfulness, I, uh, Abraham. It's about my faithfulness. That's right. That's right. And the, here is the son of promise. Here is Isaac. And Abraham is once again faithful. He believes, he trusts, he worships God, and things go swimmingly for about 10 years. Uh, Isaac is growing up, the family's getting along, they've kicked Hagar and Ishmael out, so things would be a little bit smoother. Everything is great. This is, oh, so good. Here it is, the beginning of the promise of God. But then God shows up again. And says this, sometime later, I think 10, 12 years, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And we have here, i got to wrap up, and we have here this interesting call back to the very beginning. Do you remember the very beginning where God called Abraham in the land of Ur and said, uh, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house and go. Right? It was his security. It was his identity. And now we have another threefold call from the Lord. Take your son. Take your only son whom you love. Take Isaac and go to the land, go to the mountain I will show you. 
and offer him as a sacrifice. It's not just his son. It's his only son. It is the precious son of promise, Isaac. In every other time in the story when Abraham was confronted with something this difficult, this painful, what does he do? He gets scared. He starts to disbelieve, takes things into his own hands, right? tries to, to run away from his problems, tries to lie his way out of it. But this time, he takes Isaac, a couple of servants, a donkey, and says, all right, we're going to go worship God. They're climbing the mountain, and Isaac says, Dad, where, we've got the wood, we've got the flint to start the fire, but where is the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. And so Abraham takes and binds Isaac, puts him on the altar, has the knife raised to, to slay him, and an angel comes down and stops him. And the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you love me. I know that you trust me. What does it exactly say? Do, do, do. <laughs> do not do anything to the boy. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And in many ways, this is the place where uh, Abraham's story ends and Isaac's story begins to, to pick up. But we see the, the story of, of Abraham with its ups and its downs, with his faithfulness and his fear and all of this garbage. And certainly the narrator is not trying to imply, you guys should be just like Abraham, the father of our faith, because he was a great leader. He is so faithful. But what the author wants us to see is that despite Abraham's faithfulness, despite when he was walking in, in confidence and security with the Lord, or when he was running away and lying and hiding, God was ever faithful. God was ever faithful to Abraham, and he is going to be ever faithful to you. And so where do we see grace in this story? We see it all over the place. We see it in the call of Abraham from all the peoples of the world. He wasn't killed in Egypt, right? And he got rich. He, uh, God shows up again, promises, uh, and reaffirms this promise to this faithless, fearful Abraham. God shows up, he makes a covenant by cutting it up and cutting up the, the animals and the smoking fire pot. That's in there, you can read it. After Abraham mistrusts God and disbelieves God and sleeps with Hagar, trying to take things in his own hand, God shows his grace when he changes their names into these God-formed, God-called identities. We see the, the grace of God in the covenant of circumcision. We see the grace of God in the promise that Isaac is going to come. We see the grace of God when God sits with Abraham for dinner and talks to him about what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. On and on and on through the story, we see the grace of God running rampant with a faithless Sometimes, and a disbelieving sometimes, Abraham. But God is faithful, continually, and he continues to offer his grace to Abraham, and he continues to offer his grace to us. Because the truth is, we are just like Abraham. We have our good days and we have our bad days. 
We have the days when we're uber faithful and we're excited about what's going on. And we have those days when we are freaked out and we don't know how we're going to make the rent payment. And we are just doing everything we can under our own power. There's no faith. There's no trust. There's no belief. Just fear. But luckily, God's graciousness and God's faithfulness is not based on our faithfulness. Amen. Right? It is based on on his. And where I want to end tonight is by looking at how Paul remembers Abraham. We just talked through that whole story. Believe it or not, that was the shortened version of the story. Paul talks about Rome, uh, Abraham in Romans 4, I don't know where it is in there, 4, 19. He says this. Without weakening in his faith, he's talking about Abraham, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. That is the New Testament Right? That is scripture, that is Paul, that is God's remembrance of Abraham, who we know was up and down. But what does it say? He never wavered. He held on to his faith. Since more, what's more important is the strength of that which we're holding on to than, than our ability to hold on to it. Does that make sense? I don't know how to say that makes sense in my head. Right? God's faithfulness is so powerful and so unfailing. We can hold fast to that. Right? God's faithful. He continues to offer his grace to you and to me because God is for you. And so don't worry. You've not missed out on God's plan. You've not missed out on God's purpose for your life. His promises rest, again, on his faithfulness and not yours. God's grace and faithfulness allow you to rest in God's purposes and in God's timing. He's going to come through. Every single time, when you're good or when you're bad, God is faithful. And so I want to ask you tonight, you know, where are you feeling fear? Where are you feeling uh, disbelief? Where are you trying to fulfill God's call and God's promises out of your own strength? I want to encourage you to hold fast to God's faithfulness, to learn to rest in the goodness of God, because he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he will never be unfaithful. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your great faithfulness. We thank you for the grace that you showed to Abraham. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you show to us. And Lord God, we repent for living in fear and living in disbelief, trying to figure everything out under our own power, like it's all up to us. But Lord, we take off those burdens right now and we give them to you. We trust you, that your promises are sure, that your faithfulness is sure. And tonight, we rest in you. Amen.